0: Welcome back to the founder marketing show. In today's episode, we're gonna talk about why B2B companies should consider influencer marketing, how I would set up my B2B company's podcast, why running ads is not demand gen, why LinkedIn ads are the best B2B channel for 2023, when is marketing the most effective strategy for a company, why your marketing is not performing, a couple of reasons for that, and then lastly, Founder-led marketing versus founder branding. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any feedback or comments or question that you want us to talk about, hit me up on LinkedIn. You can find me as Fintomaya. And thank you for listening.
1: Chapter one, why B2B companies should consider influencer marketing.
0: I think is very interesting for B2B companies to think about, which I think more and more companies will start doing, is basically leverage influencer marketing or ambassadors or evangelists. It's all the same thing, just different terms for it, for their B2B marketing. I picked out an example here, which I think is really cool. So this is an example of a company called Bravado, which is a B2B tech-enabled... It's kind of like a software, I think, but it's also a marketplace where people can hire salespeople, I think, but it's a B2B company, right? And so this guy who's hilarious, he posts these hilarious, funny, sarcastic, ironic videos and posts on linkedin he calls himself corporate bro so it's like a meme persona that he's playing and you can see that he's getting incredible engagement on some of some of his content right because it's like it's comedy it's basically linkedin comedy and he has his own thing going on but they basically hired him i don't know the exact setup i don't know how how he's being compensated or whatever as their head of community and i think The way to think about this is basically that he is an ambassador or an evangelist or an influencer for this company, right? So I think there are a lot of incredible creators on LinkedIn who have a lot of followers who get a lot of engagement on their content, and they don't have a lot of things going on. Maybe they're freelancing on their own. Maybe they have a little coaching business. Maybe they're still in college you know, and they're a student, maybe they're actually a marketing manager somewhere and, you know, getting a marketing manager salary, but like on LinkedIn, they're creating this incredible content that's getting hundreds of likes on every post. And so for B2B companies to think about, can we hire these people to do influencer marketing for us to be our ambassador, to basically help them do more of what they're already doing, which is create content. And then for them to just associate themselves with their company brand to drive a lot of awareness. I mean, look at how much engagement he's getting, right? And if you're the company who's being associated with this guy, it's going to drive a lot of awareness. So I think there will be a lot more kind of relationships like that where B2B companies will work together with big creators on LinkedIn and affiliate themselves with them.
1: Chapter 2, How I Would Set Up My B2B Companies Podcast
0: I think podcasts are still very early. Obviously, there's much more, but I think especially in B2B, there's still so much opportunity. It's just still so many more people starting to listen to podcasts, starting to listen to a lot of podcasts. Like my mom is listening to podcasts now. My dad is listening to podcasts now. They're like in their mid-50s, almost 60s. Like two years ago, three years ago, they would have never considered listening to a podcast. They didn't even know necessarily what that was now they're listening to podcasts right and so you know when you're trying to reach senior decision makers um i think it's still so much opportunity there and so i think a proper podcast strategy is gonna be a big opportunity and what i mean by a proper podcast strategy is how can you figure out how to add ongoing value that's broad enough to binge because B2B is boring. If you're selling like a B2B software tool that helps companies manage their passwords, All right? Let's say you have a password managing management software. What can you really talk about in a podcast that's one hour long and that you're publishing every week? And so it's really tough. And I think it's very easy to have like an alibi podcast to just tell your marketing person, hey, like create some kind of podcast and they do that for you. And there's some generic garbage stuff going out on your podcast or to really think about a proper podcast strategy. And I think for the example of the, you know, password management software, let's say you're selling to SMBs, right? So you're not selling to big corporations and who have their own head of security or data security or chief information security officers, but you're selling to SMBs, so you're selling into the the CEO basically, the owner, the founder. You know, if you create a one hour episode around password management and why it matters and why it's important and how it works, and you know how you know it could damage your company if you know passwords get leaked and you get hacked. You know, that's a nice one hour episodes, but that's it. So like thinking about how can we create a podcast that our target audience, which is owners and CEOs and founders of SMBs can continuously get value from and binge watch. I think that's a really great question to ask. And so in this case, maybe the topic is not password management, but it's data security. Right it's like a slightly broader topic maybe the the podcast topic is organizational resilience it's how to be resilient against outside potential harms towards your company whether that might be hacks or password leaks or something else like a recession or a pandemic or something else right that's something that a founder and ceo could come back to every single week and keep listening to
1: Chapter three, running ads is not demand gen.
0: I think there is this misconception around demand gen. It's again, like I've talked about it before, but it's this term that's being thrown around because people want to throw it around. And I saw a talk by David Sachs, like a keynote he gave on, on SaaS Street. David Sachs, obviously, I mean, I don't know if people know him, All In podcast host, but he's, he's, he's big in the SaaS space, right? He's one of the prolific investors in it. So like he understands SaaS. He kind of talked about organizational structures. And he talked about how your Series A company should be structured, and then how your Series B company should be structured, and then how your Series C company should be structured. And so in the marketing team, I think for the Series A, he had like all the job roles listed. You should have a head of marketing. And then he said, you should have two demand marketers. And these two demand marketers to me, they're just like data-driven people, you know, running ads and that sort of stuff. And it's like running ads or being data-driven has nothing to do with demand creation. Demand creation is not about like the channels that you use. It's about the intention that you apply when you're running campaigns. You can run ads and they can be demand capture or they can demand gen, but like just running ads is neither nor. It's just, it can be anything. I mean, you can run all kinds of things in ads. You know, people throw around this term Demand creation really is around how can you increase the pie of people who believe that your particular solution or category is a good idea, is something that they should be exploring. And then there's demand capture to actually try to capture those people who are interested in it and want to learn more. But that's a separate thing, right? And so like me just running ads doesn't do anything. Like I could run lead capture ad. I could, you know, run lead magnet ads with like some checklist or ebook around like like the five things you need to do to build your founder brand and then capture emails and then try to sell to those people. But the only reason why they downloaded the ebook is because they were already interested in the concept. That's not the step before that of creating the advocacy and evangelism around, you know, your category, around your product to, you know, as I said, increase the pool of people who think it's a good idea. And it's not about the channels, It's not about the activities or campaigns. It's around the intention that you have when you set up these campaigns.
1: Chapter 4: Why LinkedIn Ads is the best B2B channel in 2023.
0: The LinkedIn ad platform is not like somehow massively different to the other ad platforms. So if you've set up like Facebook ads before, Instagram ads, YouTube ads. It's it's relatively similar, right? You upload your creative and then you set the targeting and then you spend some money. I think LinkedIn is interesting because if you're in B2B, the targeting on LinkedIn is super powerful because you can go very specific and you can say, I want to target heads of HR working at software companies with 50 to 200 employees based in New York City. And then you can show your ads to exactly only those heads of HRs, of software companies with 50 to 200 employees based in New York City. That's crazy because Facebook, with Facebook, you can't do that. Facebook has interest-based targeting. So you can say, please target people who are interested in video games, people who are interested in like gardening. That's, that's super valuable if you're selling B2C products. But B2B, that's kind of spray and pray, right? YouTube, it's also not so great, the targeting. If you have some data already and you can retarget, that's a different story. But cold targeting, I think LinkedIn is like super powerful. And like, I think the opportunity actually on LinkedIn is it became over the last, I would say two years, it became so much easier to reach even relatively obscure roles in relatively technical roles that might not be necessarily super active on LinkedIn before. Like I noticed that for my dad, for example, my father is almost 60. He works at a company in Germany. The company is like partly government owned. So it's not a startup. It's a super secure job. So he doesn't need to be out there like networking or, you know, like looking for new jobs or something like that. He's not in a marketing or communications role or HR role. And he started engaging with my content on LinkedIn, you know, like over the last couple of months, and that's new, right, and like regularly, not like a random like like once every six months when like my mom sends him one of my videos, like no, he's like now actually scrolling on LinkedIn every now and then. He had a LinkedIn account, but he just never opened the app. And so I think this is a whole thing that's actually happening. And B2B companies can capture on that because if you're selling to these roles before that, it was just really, really hard for them to see your ads because like if they open the LinkedIn app once a month, there's no chance that you can, you know, distribute your ads towards them. And so I think that's a big shift in kind of, behavior on linkedin yeah and so i think it's super powerful the same framework apply, and i think it's again the demand creation thing my philosophy is with the ads that we're setting up for customers and for ourselves like you want to be out there educating people highlighting why what you do matters in the first place how your product or process works what the benefits are what some of the results that people have gotten are, right? So that you're creating demand for what you're building rather than just putting some lead form out there, trying to get people to book a call with your salespeople from like seeing some image ad. So I think that's the next step. But other than that, I just think it's a big opportunity for, for companies uh, this year. And so we're exploring it, we're doing it for customers and I'm going to report back once we have something more tangible there, but I'm, I'm super bullish on it.
1: Chapter Five. When is founder- led marketing the most effective?
0: The way that I you know came up with this term is like there's founder led sales that's quite popular, especially in the early stage kind of startup world and it's the idea based on the same principle that if you're starting a company. It should be you, the founder, selling in the beginning. Because again, no one understands what you do and your product better than the founder. And you shouldn't hire some sales rep to sell your product before you even know exactly what you're selling and whom you're selling it to and how to communicate it and how to position it. It should be you, the founder. And so I think the next stage after that, once you've built the product, once you've then sold it a couple of times as the founder, you understand kind of how to position it, how to sell it, who to sell it to and you can scale that and hire for that and build the processes around that and the training, then the next step is how do you scale yourself as the founder? And I think that's marketing, right? Because marketing is scaled sales, like it's scaled communications. It's you know you recording a video, recording a podcast or writing a blog post, whatever these media things are. And then tens of hundreds of prospects can all consume that video or that podcast or that blog post. So you only have to do it once and it's scaled. So it's much more kind of efficient on your time. And so I think then the next step to kind of support your sales team is to do founder led marketing and to be out there kind of carrying the flag for your company, generating demand, building out your category, evangelizing it. So that's what founder led marketing is.
1: Chapter six, why your marketing is not performing. I
0: think one problem with marketing is just and I think that's the reason why so many companies, especially B2B companies, complain about marketing is not working. And what is marketing? It's scale communication of the messages you want to push, push out as a company. And I think the messages you want to push out are who you are as a company, what you do, how your product or service works why people should buy it, what the benefits are, who the team behind it is, what philosophy you believe in, what your perspective is, and your expertise on the market. If you're in cybersecurity, like, do you know stuff about cybersecurity? If you're in content marketing, do you know stuff about content marketing? Because that's how people build trust, right? Like, why should they hire you or buy your product for cybersecurity or content marketing if they don't believe that you actually know stuff about this thing? So like, you need to establish that you guys actually know what you're talking about, that you're experts, that you're authorities, that you're thought leaders, whatever you want to call it. But most companies, they hire a person for that And most of the time they hire a junior marketing person and then they give them some tasks and they say, we want to do SEO and we want to do Google ads and we want to do uh, LinkedIn and we want to do this. And then that junior marketing person gets to work and does SEO and Google ads and LinkedIn, whatever that means. And they're going to push out some content. What can they actually talk about authoritatively? Not a lot. What they're going to create is what they're going to do is they're going to look at your competitors. They look about what they talk about and how they talk about it. They're going to look at five other competitors and then they're going to kind of mix, match, regurgitate, you know, copy, paste, combine some of them, add some things, restructure some things and kind of create the same thing because they don't know cybersecurity deeply. They don't understand your technical buyers, the CTOs at HR companies and what they do day to day. They don't understand your product deeply and how it works on the back end. They maybe are fresh, so they can't really communicate the benefits in a way that your customers. So the the content is going to be, it's going to be alibi content. It's going to be content that you push out to say, yeah, we're doing LinkedIn, we're doing SEO, we're we're doing Google ads, but it's not stuff that your senior buyers right the people that you're actually selling into the budget holders the heads of hr the ctos the director of marketing will look at and be like wow these guys understand me these guys understand my pain points this product makes a lot of sense I understand the details and the nuances. And so the the person who can best actually do this communication is the founder. And that's what we believe. And that's what we do. And that's why we created the process that we created, because they have all of these things. They understand your company deeply. They understand your product or service deeply. They understand your market deeply. They understand your customers and their needs and their pain points deeply. And they have a deep expertise, usually, right, where they have a background in cybersecurity or in content marketing. And they've been there, done that for a bunch of years. So they can actually share a lot of educational insights and strategies and tips and tricks and how-tos that again, like sophisticated buyers, senior buyers will look at and be like, wow, this is actually insightful, right? Will your junior person be able to create this type of stuff where your senior sophisticated buyers will look at and read it and watch the video and listen to the podcast and be like, wow. This was insightful, right? If they don't, then it's probably not going to work. So that's why I think founder-led marketing makes sense and why it's such a powerful tool to leverage. People love founders. I mean, not everyone, I guess, but the reason why founder-led marketing works is the same reason why founder-led sales works. I think there are some stats. I don't know the exact one, but there's something like if you send a cold email to a prospect and just in the signature... Of the email it says you know sent by so-and-so sales rep and then you send the exact same email to the exact same person with the same copy same subject line but the signature says so-and-so Founder and CEO, you get like a three times higher response rate. Same message. Why? Because people want to talk with founders and CEOs. They, want, they don't want to be sold to. They don't want to talk to a sales rep. And the same applies to marketing. If you see a piece of content by you know the founder and CEO, and then you see the same person by junior content writer, so-and-so at company, which ones are you more excited and more likely to actually consume and watch? It's the one by the founder and CEO. And so the same kind of psychology works here because it just adds gravitas. It adds depth of knowledge and expertise. And that's that's why we believe in it.
1: Chapter seven, founder-led marketing versus founder branding.
0: Founder branding to me is, is you know, it's personal branding for a founder. And so there's an aspect of it that's more self-centered, I guess. Right, it's the founder building their personal brand. So they're trying to grow their own personal following on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, whatever platforms they choose, right? And it's all around the founder, it's the person. They're gonna talk maybe around the company, but they're also gonna talk about all kinds of other things that they wanna talk about, right? Work-life balance and their workout routine and how to raise money and you know all these other things and they might or might not actually leverage or talk about their product specifically. So that's what founder branding is to me. I think it's more of a nice to have, I think it's a subcategory of founder-led marketing. There is an aspect of what we do that is founder branding, right? Because whenever we build out a content strategy for a customer, we do incorporate some personal topics because we feel like it really helps building some rapport with people and kind of adding some texture to the founder, that it's not just some robot talking about the product and the company. No, they're a a person, but it's one small aspect of the content strategy. The rest is, you know, how can we do marketing for the company, not for the founder? We're not trying to market the founder. We're trying to market the company and the company's product. We're just going to leverage the founder's expertise and stories because someone needs to talk about what your company does and how your product works and who you're for and what your features are and what the benefit like someone needs to talk about these things. And we believe that it should be the founder because the founder is the best suited person to do this, especially at an early stage. And then you leverage this, these assets, content, videos, blog posts, podcasts in different places for the company the company youtube channel the company you know linkedin page also the personal linkedin page of the founder because sure you know a company newsletter ads being run from the company right so i think that's the difference the goal with founder branding is to build the personal brand and the personal following of that founder founder led marketing is to do great marketing for your company to generate more customers and sell more products and to just leverage your founders expertise gravitas and stories to go about that all right thank you so much for listening to this episode if you have any questions any topics that you would like us to discuss on here just send me a message on linkedin and then we also now started doing our live events our live q a's every two weeks where we break down the leading B2B companies and how they do their marketing. where We will have some marketing leaders on there for interviews and where we from Project 33 just share our current lessons. So if you're interested in that, uh, feel free to join us live every two weeks at 4 p.m. Central Eastern Time. You can find the link to sign up for that live Q&A on our website under our uh, Learning Center page and there's a page for the live Q&A where you can register and then you also get can add it to your calendar. I'd love to see you there. It's still an experiment. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Peace out.